from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to Kennedy Classics. I'd like to invite you to download our ministry app, which features all of our television programs, interviews, and commentaries, as well as Bible translations and much more. Just visit the App Store for your mobile device and search for D. James Kennedy Ministries. I once read an account of someone finding a message in a bottle. This particular bottle was found floating more than 100 years after it was first cast into the sea. What is it about a message in a bottle that we find so intriguing? Perhaps it's the window that opens for us to better see what particular people were thinking and doing. What were their trials and sorrows? What were their hopes and joys? Were they writing with good news or perhaps with bad news? What were the unique circumstances that caused them to leave such a message for others to read? In this season in which we celebrate Thanksgiving, we are reminded of the pilgrims that came before us. These were a people fully committed to an extraordinary undertaking. And in doing so, they left a message for us, one almost lost to our modern understanding. And what did the pilgrims have to say? Here is Dr. D. James Kennedy with his message, The Pilgrims Speak Today. Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the first of the three chapters comprising the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. May we hear the inspired word of our God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen. 
And may God speak to us today through this portion of his holy word, and may his name ever be praised. Amen. With Thanksgiving Day fast approaching, I thought that this would be a good time for us to consider the establishment of this nation, what it means in our hearts today, and what it actually should mean to each one of us. And of course, we cannot properly understand it without going back to those who began this country and gave us the first governmental constitution in the birth certificate of America, which was, of course, the Mayflower Compact. I speak, of course, of the pilgrims, those hearty and brave men and women who came over here so long ago to these shores and founded for us this nation, to whom we owe such a debt of gratitude. Who were they? Why did they come? And what do they have to say to us today? I'll venture to say that there are many who do not know the pilgrims were a church. They were a single local church who, with their pastor, determined to move the church as we move this church from Commercial Boulevard over here to US-1. However, they determined to move a little bit farther than that, to say the least. But it was a church relocation project. These were people who decided that the only thing to do was to separate from the church. They were called separatists. We know them today as pilgrims. Pilgrims, of course, means that they were wanderers, wanderers across the earth. and They wandered across many thousands of miles of this planet. And they began in eastern England, in the counties of Lincolnshire, Yorkshire, and Nottinghamshire. And there, particularly at the little town of Scrooby, in Nottinghamshire, there began in 1606 a group of these people who withdrew from the Church of England and formed themselves into a covenanted people with God, determined to walk according to all of the light that God had given or would given to, give to them out of his word, according to the best of their ability, regardless of what persecution or suffering they endured as a result thereof. And to this church there came a young man as assistant minister by the name of John Robinson, assistant to Richard Clifton, who shortly thereafter left to go to Amsterdam, leaving this congregation at the little town of Scrooby in the hands of the one who was to come to be known as the pilgrim's pastor, John Robinson, a remarkable young man and a most remarkable congregation, to say the least. In fact, one of the most remarkable congregations that has ever existed on the face of this earth. They met, interestingly enough, in the manner that William Brewster lived in. His father had come some years before that to Scrooby to take care and to live in the manor house of the Archbishop of York. 
By this time, James I had come to the throne. There had been little freedom in the time of Elizabeth. They hoped that things would get better, but they got worse. He was an autocrat, and James I is famous for his saying, which was, I will make them conform, or I will harry them out of the land. Well, one of the groups that he harried out of the land of England was the church, a little underground church at Scrooby. Now, what had brought all of this to pass was that sometime before, things, of course, had moved along in, in Geneva with the work of Calvin, and these people were all devoted followers of the teachings of Calvin, and the Geneva Bible had been printed there, and that Bible had been smuggled into England and at Scrooby. They had a precious treasure. They had the Bible in their own language. This was against the law at this time for the Church of England, as it had been for the Church of Rome. It was not allowed that an Englishman would have the Bible in his own language, in his own hands. But the people had the Word of God. And as they read that Word of God, they saw that things were not right in the church and things were not right in the land. And so, therefore, the whole movement that brought these people to America, that founded this nation, began when people got the Word of God into their hands and they began to study the Holy Scriptures. So this is a nation that was born of the Bible, even as Newsweek said some years ago, that historians are now coming to realize that it was the Bible, even more than the Constitution, that founded this nation of America. But no sooner had they organized themselves into a secret separatist church in 1606 than they began to be harried and hunted and persecuted by the authorities. <clears throat> they would hide out and move from place to place. Their homes would be watched. They would be thrown into jail, clapped into prison. And finally, Robinson and his people decided that there was nothing else for them to do but to leave England if they were to worship according to the Word of God and the dictates of their conscience. So they determined to go to Holland, which was a place of religious liberty, which others had gone to before. They made arrangements with an English captain to take them there. They got in the longboats to go out to the ship, and they found that they had been betrayed by the captain, and they were robbed of all of their money and possessions and brought back to the magistrates and thrown into prison. After being kept there for some while, they were finally released, and after many other difficulties, they arranged with a Dutch captain to take them to Amsterdam. And so, piece by piece, Group by group, they finally were rejoined together in Amsterdam, where there were some other English congregations. They came to Holland in 1608, and they were to stay in Amsterdam one year and in Leiden for 11, for a total of 12 years in the land of Holland. And it was during those years that Robinson developed and formed this people into the, what would be the founding fathers and mothers of this country. And they were a marvelous congregation. In fact, the magistrates in Leiden said to the Walloons or the French who had come there, you people are always engaged in arguments and disputations and lawsuits. Look at the English. They have dwelt among us for 12 years, and they have never had one suit or one argument. They live in peace. Why cannot you do the same? 
They were looked on so favorably that the Dutch delighted to lend them money, knowing that their word was their bond, that they would repay it, and that they worked diligently at whatever calling they found. They were indeed a marvelous congregation of devoted and consecrated Christian people under a marvelous pastor, John Robinson. William Brewster was elected in Leiden as their elder. They only had one pastor and one elder, and uh, that's the way they thought it should be done at that time. He had also attended uh, Cambridge, had not graduated, but had studied Latin and Greek, which would stand him in good stead when he came to America. Finally, after these 11 years, things began to happen that made them realize they had to move on again. The Dutch people at that time were very worldly, and there was a great deal of impiety and ungodliness among them. The Sabbath was grossly profaned. Their children were growing up and were marrying with the Dutch people, and they were afraid that they were going to lose their congregation. So they decided that they would move to a new land and that they would establish a place where they could worship and live according to the teachings of the Scripture. The Dutch were so alarmed when they found out that they were leaving, that they offered to move them at the government expense to any place in Holland because they were such exemplary citizens at government expense yet, or even to ship them to any of the Dutch colonies anywhere in the world of their choosing at government expense. A remarkable thing that a Christian congregation should have been looked on in such a light. And yet, that's the way they were considered. They decided, however, to go to the British colonies in North America. They determined that if they would go in two groups, and if a majority went in the first group, that Robinson would go with them, and if it was a minority, that Robinson would stay with the majority and come later. It was a minority that decided to go, and so John Robinson, as eager as he was to go with them, stayed with the wives and the children and the elderly, as he had done before in England, until that day when he could join them in America. But the minority of the group sailed, of course, to Southampton and then out to sea and then back to Plymouth for repairs. They left the Speedwell there and all got onto the Mayflower and they started over to this country. And of course, after 63 days through this howling and fierce and vast wilderness of sea, they made it to Cape Cod. Fortunately, the winter did not last long first mild day of spring came very early in March the 3rd, but by this time half of them were dead. If it had been a long winter, they might all have died and we might not be here today. But they continued, they managed to get through that first year and the second things began to look up and the rest of the, the pilgrim church from Leiden and prior to that from Scrooby, came to join them in their new land. However, their pastor, John Robinson, had taken suddenly ill, and in just a couple of days, he had died. Their hearts were desolated by the loss of their pastor. Elder Brewster, of course, had been sent on in the first ship to America to be the acting pastor, as he was the only elder aboard, and his training at Cambridge no doubt stood him in good stead as they met to worship. And the pilgrim worship services were something that were very important. 
as we see many of them walk 10 or 12 miles to go to church and back each day. Their services, they had an 8 o'clock service in the morning, a 9 o'clock, a 10 o'clock, and an 11 o'clock service in which an hour sermon was preached at each one of these services except they were all one service. People stayed for the entire four hours. Robinson preached and Brewster preached, then some member of the congregation preached for an hour and another one for another hour. Of course, there was prayer and the singing of songs as well. And then again, they met in the afternoon. And at three, four, five, and six, for another four hours, they had another four hours of worship. So every Sabbath day, there were eight hours of worship services that went on among the pilgrims. And that is the kind of devotion that these people have. Now what we have seen who these people were, that this was actually a church congregation and their pastor seeking to relocate where they could worship God without harassment and persecution by the state or the corruption of an ungodly society. What do they have to say to us today? Well, the first thing that I would have you to note that these were men and women of conviction. It was conviction born of the Word of God. These were men and women of the Word who were willing to go to prison. They're willing to be killed. They were willing to cross this wild and ferocious desert of the ocean and go into the midst of savages all because of the Word of God, which was such a precious treasure. Many of us today have two, three, five, or ten Bibles in our homes, and yet we spend little time really searching them or reading them or hiding them in our heart. And I think as we look back to our fathers, as we sing, faith of our fathers living still, we would be true. How true are we to that love that they had for the Scriptures? And that conviction that it was the very Word of God for which they were willing to give their whole lives and even to be harried out of the land if necessary. Secondly, they were men and women who loved one another, who lived as examples unto all of the world. They determined to establish a city, a shining city on a hill, a light for all the world to see the gospel. That was their great desire, that they might have that kind of a life. They were truly a people of God who lived, it is said by Bradford, as perhaps no other congregation that lived since the time of the apostles, in such peace and unity and love. They were men and women of peace. They loved each other, they cared for each other, and they lived in peace in the midst of a corrupt world. Their great desire was to live for God, to follow his commandments. One of the reasons that they left Holland was because of the corrupted morals of the people and particularly their profanation of the Sabbath, which grieved the hearts of these people. And I wonder what the pilgrims would think about us today as their children. And lastly, they had a great zeal to witness. William Bradford, their historian, the second governor of Plymouth Plantation, who was with them throughout all of this, from Scrooby to Amsterdam to Leiden to Plymouth, 
He tells us that they had a great desire to share the gospel with other people. But in Holland, they had to appeal to the burgomasters of Leiden to move into the city. And when they did, they had certain restrictions that they had to live under to have the privilege of living there. And one of them was that they were not allowed to proselytize any of the Dutch people into their church. That was a law. And they indeed were greatly frustrated by that. They wanted to share the gospel. It was their desire, said Bradford, either to be the, the cause of reaching out to the world with the gospel or at least to provide a stepping stone for others to do it, that the gospel may go. And so when they signed the Mayflower Compact, they said that they had undertaken this journey for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. And they did provide a stepping stone. It was only a few years later that the first missionary, John Eliot, set out into the wilderness of America to take the gospel to the Indians in their own language. Many more were to follow until more missionaries had gone out from America than from any other nation in history. I hope that you will be challenged as I am, as one of their descendants or one of those who has inherited what they created for us. I wonder what they would think of what America is today. I wonder what they would even think of us as Christian descendants. I wonder if they would be pleased with the way that we have held up that torch. I wonder if they would feel that this is indeed a city set on a hill. May God help us to be like them. Let us pray. Father, we pray that your spirit may quicken in us a desire to live holy and godly lives, to walk in the footsteps of those who came to this country so long ago, who left us such a godly example. And we so often have dropped the torch. We have wandered from that path. We have not made a city set upon a hill. Lord, may we be those kind of faithful and godly men and women, boys and girls, that will not only please them, but will please thy heart. For they lived, O God, to please thee. May we do the same. For the same God that was with them is with us today. The same Christ that led them across the lands and across the ocean is here to lead us this day. May we faithfully live for him to his glory and to the advancement of his kingdom. In his name we ask. Amen. I trust that it is your desire to please the heart of God the way the pilgrims did and to leave a godly legacy for future generations. Unfortunately, it's not possible to do either if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Do you know for certain that you will spend eternity in heaven with God? If not, don't let another day go by without having that assurance. You see, eternal life, being in heaven, is an absolutely free gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it because, you see, we're all sinners. I know that we don't use that word much today, but sin is anything that is displeasing to God, and we are all guilty. God loved us so much that even though we are guilty, He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die upon the cross for our sins. 
And then three days later, he rose from the dead. He purchased a place for us in heaven, which he offers to us right now as a free gift. And we receive this gift by faith, saving faith, which is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. If this makes sense to you, and you'd like to know peace with God now and forever, then pray with me this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for offering me the free gift of eternal life. I repent of my sins and ask you to forgive me and cleanse me. I place my trust in you alone from this day forward. In your name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, then you've just begun the greatest adventure of your life. And to help you, we want to send you Beginning Again, written by Dr. Kennedy for new believers. As you read it, you'll learn how to study the Bible, how to pray, how to talk with others about what you've just done. It's our gift to you when you write to our address or call our toll-free number and ask for Beginning Again. God bless you as you do. As you heard in Dr. Kennedy's message today, America began as a church relocation project. And yet all around us, we hear the false assertion that America was founded as a secular nation and that the claims of Christianity do not belong in our law or in our politics. But such assertions simply do not hold up when we understand the truth of God's role in American history. It's vital that you understand that role, and we have a new resource that will greatly help. It's the book, God's Promises for the American Patriot, by Dr. Richard Lee and Jack Countryman. This book is like a treasure map, leading you to hidden riches as you discover the promises from God's Word that have served as the foundation upon which America was formed. And we want to send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 888-332-3069, or go online to djkm.org. This 197-page book features short chapters that can easily be read each day as a devotional. And you'll discover the stories of heroes, past and present, who devoted their lives to establishing and shaping America on the promises of God. God's Promises for the American Patriot combines historical facts about our forefathers with the promises from God's Word, giving a powerful look at the importance of biblical values and how they affect the fabric of our Constitution. You'll meet characters from the founding era all the way up to the present day and be encouraged by scriptural promises and truths that have been fulfilled in American history. You'll want to have God's promises for the American Patriot for yourself as well as to share with your children and grandchildren who need to understand America's Christian history and are not likely to learn it at school. We will send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. 
888-332-3069. Go online to djkm.org. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD or audio CD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.